award-winning, brilliant London-based fine artist and cartographer, Adam Dant, has been described as the Hogarth for our times. From his studio above the oldest Ashkenazi synagogue in Spitalfield, in the East End, Adam surveys the past, present and future of our ever-changing city. His astonishing maps are beautiful and subversive at the same time. His stunning book, Maps of London and Beyond, comprise fabulous characters from Dickens to Shakespeare and Barbara Windsor, shipwrecks on the Thames to starry skies over Soho. In 2015, Adam was selected as the official artist by the House of Commons to document Britain going to the polls. This took him on a tour of the realm, where after thousands of miles, he turned the election campaign into a huge pen and ink drawing, which now hangs in Parliament. Adam's work has an eye for detail that we all see every day in London, but probably dismiss as we rush around in a blur. It has humour, sincerity and historic value, and I love it. Adam was kind enough to invite us to his working studio and chat through what inspires him and his love for our fascinating metropolis. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is your London Legacy. Before we meet this week's wonderful guest, here's a little something for you. If you're a fan of the show and would like to get involved and support us at Your London Legacy and help us keep producing amazing content just for you, you can get involved over on our Patreon page. We take every penny and we'll reinvest it back into the show. If you want to get involved and get hold of some really cool benefits or have us create your very own London Legacy episode or maybe meet up with us and other London Legacy lovers in London, you can do that too over at www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to say that we have today on the podcast Adam Dant, a, I don't know, how would you describe yourself, a fine artist, a graphic artist? I'm a fine artist, which encompasses all of the stuff that I um, churn out. So I make maps, publications, prints, large drawings, occasional performance. So fine artist is my background. Yeah. I kind of slipped into it through, uh, you know various other milieu but yeah. that's how i'd identify so myself in general. you're a high let's, let's be frank you're a highly regarded award-winning artist in certain fields in, cer- yeah. in certain fields now we're sitting here in your studio right in the heart of Sp- spitalfields Spitalfield, yes Spitalfield. we're right on the border literally of the city of london see that's the city that building over there what literally opposite where yes. we are here yeah wow and that sound outside Sounds like a school tour. Yes, <clears throat> who are doing um, the, uh, the the walk around Spitalfields to look at all the historic buildings? We're in a synagogue. Yes, we're in the old caretaker's flat, which is my studio. Are you, are you happy to give the uh, location? Oh, on Sandy's Road. Sandy's yeah, Road. I believe it's the third oldest synagogue in London. Yeah, I think just standing outside. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm of the faith, and I, I've never been to that synagogue before. But it's 1854. You, it. you were saying how it originated. <clears throat> it was. Um, Originally a Huguenot chapel, Spitalfields was very uh, popular with the, um, you know, the fleeing French Huguenots yes. who, after the revocation of the Edict of Nantes, uh-huh. were allowed into to the Britain, and uh, they settled in Spitalfields. Their trades were like silk weaving, uh, watch repairs, printing, and um, this area is hosted waves of immigration, possibly because it's near the docks. Mm. Um, one of which being the Jewish congregation who came over with William of Orange, and. Um, they had their synagogue here in the uh, after the Huguenots had kind of dissipated. Uh-huh. So if you go in into the actual synagogue, it's all painted orange and white. Oh, really? Yeah. Like when I moved in here, this whole room was painted bright orange. Uh-huh. 
slightly kind of. Uh, You've got to work on it already. Yeah, I should, see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but I, the children outside, they're on a they're on a tour, and they'll stop outside, and you can hear the uh, the tour guide. It's just such a wonderful story, part of London, isn't it? It's yeah. just magnificent. I mean, I got got off of the train at Moorgate and walked through Finsbury, uh, Finsbury, so, Finsbury, so, Park. Finsbury Park, yeah. and came that way. And it's just it's glorious as you come into this, the old sort of narrow narrow yeah. sort of. Well, um, these are alleys. the old medieval alleyways that would have been here when the Saint Mary Spittle. Uh, the, ch the, the church in yes. the Priory was on the site where uh -huh. the market is. And uh, if you go up to Fo uh, Folgate Street, where it intersects with, the, with the, where the market is, you're, you're pretty much standing in the nave of the old uh, church, which was um, during the Reformation uh, destroyed by Henry VIII to, to make his um, artillery ground. So around the corner here, there's a, there's a sign on the wall. I forget what the date is, 15 something, which, uh, which denotes the boundary of Henry VIII's artillery ground. So you'd have had the archery going on here. And, uh, and then the, uh, the artillery ground still in the city. It's moved over to where you would have walked, you know, from Finsbury Square at the Honourable Artillery Ground on, on uh, City Road. So this, the history remains. And then you'll meet, you might meet someone. We had a very good friend who lived around the corner called um, Mr. Archer. And then there was a chap who had a business down the alleyway here, Artillery Row, uh, called Mr. Bowman. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, th those kind of um, the links to our uh, common history, they kind of live on in strange coincidences yeah, like that. Yeah. Which, uh, you even mentioned there was a Lazarus around here in this area. Oh, yeah, well. there's a Lazarus um, Gents Outfitters up on uh, Holywell Lane. Uh -huh. I don't They're think he's got any connection with the area necessarily. Well, he's like it too, because yeah. I think he did rather well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate that I don't I don't know them personally, but uh, it, it's lovely to be here. And just to give a shout out to our friend and early um, guest on the show, Janine Saba. Oh yes, of the uh, the Covent Gardener magazine. Uh, hello, Janine, if you're listening. It was through Janine and her wonderful magazine that I heard, first heard about you because you do the wonderful maps of the Covent Garden area and all the theatre land, don't you, for, yes. her ma for, for her magazine? I suppose uh, Spitalfields is to me what Covent Garden is to Janine. Yes. And when she started the magazine, we'd worked on other publications together. She commissioned a map of Covent Garden that she could have in her magazine, The Covent Garden, that would show the life and times and the, the characters and the, the history of, um, of that area. So I created, it's in this book of my maps of london funnily enough i created a template do you remember when you used to get those breakfast cereals and they'd have a um, theater printed on the yes. back and then you get these plastic or or cardboard cut out puppets inside yeah. and and you'd kind of You're going or, or transfers yeah you'd um create a kind of a, a, a um, populated theatrical scene from i did that with the Covent gardener um i created this map of Covent garden and every issue has a new set of figures that appear on the map some of them some of them are there for like two or three issues some of them for one some i think have stayed for the the, the whole um the whole run so far such as the pissing prostitute here which is <laughs> Charm <Marginine's> charming favorites <laughs> yeah well talking of pissing prostitutes you have been described i think your art's been described as sort of vaguely what's the word hogarthian, hogarthian. yeah hogarthian you know, Giannelli sort of style. I mean, I'm not. Ex I'm not alone in being described as Hogarthian. It's uh, <laughs> it's just a per the perennial concerns of artists who observe, and I, I do a lot of observation, uh -huh. um, especially observe London, are the kind of more um, the gritty and um, more bawdy aspects yes. of London street life. Because you, know, you go down there at six o'clock, and it's all drug addicts and drunken city workers and all manner of people and uh, the, it's it's still an exciting place the city of london you you go to the, you know old street station or london bridge and people are teeming into the city and when i first moved here about in the 1990 or so the city of london was deserted at the weekends but i think it's um it's much nicer now it's very it's very busy during the weekends city of london 
with a totally different is that population. because of or in spite of the gentrification or is that due to the coffee bars and shops i think it's yeah, coffee bars yeah. tourism people with families moving back into the the center of mm. london mm. especially into uh, shoreditch where i am up the up the road there yeah so what came first for you because obviously you're very knowledgeable on 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 history what came first for you art or history or oh, did one lead to the other i was at art school um uh -huh in cambridge i did a history of art and then moved to liverpool i wanted to be somewhere kind of antithetical to uh, my uh, my childhood and uh, youth in cambridge which is a bit of a fantasy bit of a rebel it kind of nurtured me cambridge because i'd just be dumped at the museum uh, in the morning by my parents the fitzwilliam museum or the science museum there or the um the museum of uh, classical archaeology it was an amazing resource but then when you become a teenager, you want a bit more action. So uh, yeah. they just had some riots in Liverpool. So I thought I'll go and see <laughs> well, what... To the Toxteth riots. Toxteth riots. Yeah, back so in I, the I, early um, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But there was a very inspirational uh, animation professor there called Ray Fields. He'd come to Cambridge to give a talk and um, about his department, where they'd become famous for doing this kind of hand-drawn animation, where you drew all the, the cells by hand. So um, I applied to that course. I was in Liverpool for four years. But whilst I was there... A letter arrived at the um, graphic design department, that was the department I was part of, on Hope Street, from India. And the, the letter offered a, a kind of um, private exchange between a student in India and a, and a student from Liverpool. There's a chap called, what's he called now? An Anand Sharma, who um, his brother was a doctor in Liverpool and he wanted to spend several months with him. And he said, if I can do my continue uh, working with the art school, you can, a student from Liverpool can take my place. So long uh, story short, w within a few weeks, I was in Baroda in Gujarat, thinking I was about to enter a um, graphic design department. And, you know, we were doing the typography and poster design. And, but um, the professor there handed me a big piece of wood and a chisel and said, uh, this is, you're going to do some woodcuts, make, make some woodcuts. <laughs> and, and then it dawned on me, graphic design refers to printmaking in India. And traditionally, that's what it is. So I found myself in a printmaking department. So you hadn't done a lot like, of research of, on the course then before you well, went no, out there? Well, no, it's just the peculiarities of, uh, of you know, taxonomy. Uh -huh. So, um, but I fell in love with printmaking there. And when I came back to Liverpool, I used the print studios exclusively and, um, and then applied to the Royal College of Art, where I did the, the MA in printmaking there. So what and, were the uh, early signs of your inclination for art? Do, I mean, were there any at school particularly? Or? Oh, yeah. I think most artists are probably told by some teacher or colleagues from a very early age, oh, they're the ones that you can draw, you can do the posters for the school play. So pretty much I was, um, when I was about six or seven, I was up, up ladders with buckets of paint doing you know, Alice in Wonderland sets. And, um, and then there's an aspect to being an artist, which is, it's like you, you have no choice. There's something what do you mean by that? It's, um, you can't imagine doing anything else. Uh -huh. But the thought of doing something else just doesn't appear. Yeah. So, you, so you've never done anything else. You've always no, been an I've artist. always done art. Yeah. But then... Um, so you couldn't, you couldn't work in a corporate office, for example. You'd, you'd rather kill no, yourself. No, I did I a day in the city of London. <laughs> yeah. Just to see what it was like in a banking consultant's. And uh, I just wanted to see from the inside what that world was like. A day was enough. But, I, you know, I, I'd go into the city every day to, to draw and to see what's going on. But um, but so but I my connection with the city of London would be more in terms of the the arcane history of the medieval liveries livery companies and uh, and the guilds uh, and the just the the, the colour and the tradition of that yes and so I I would naturally see it from an artistic pers perspective 
And then given, you know, given the opportunity to work in another milieu, I'd probably approach the job as an artist. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange, if you view it as a profession, situation where you create, you tend to create problems where none exist and then spend a long time solving them. And so the problems are a, created in your, in your head rather than yeah, in reality. Much, yeah. Yeah. So what, so what, what, what is a problem when you, when you have an idea and you have a blank piece of paper, that's a problem? So for example, it- what the, the map I've just finished, which I'm, I'm kind of unveiling in April is called a uh, Argonautica London Yenzi. It's a, uh, it's, um, from the cl- ancient world, classical world. Um, it's an Argonautica is a map of the classical world showing the journey of Jason and the Argonauts. Right. So I thought I'd like to, um, recreate this in London. In the kind of same fashion that James Joyce recreates Ulysses in Dublin. So I've drawn a map which overlays a map of London onto the map of the ancient world. And um, it's an episodic journey of Jason the Argonaut stopping at various points where they would have in the Mediterranean. But um, they correspond with places in London. So the Golden Fleece where is at the Bank of England. Where do you get those crazy ideas from? Search me. Do you just, um, do you, I mean, literally, do you, does it just come across you when you're in the shower? You just wake up one morning, you have to sit here and studiously meditate, you know, to get to that. Concept. I think it might go back to um, the looking for an e- equivalent in your own life for um, s- topics that embrace a broader theme. Like I was saying, Mr. Archer living around the corner. Uh-huh. Just that single um, character em- embraces the whole notion of the, the artillery ground and. Um, and the map presents to me, you know, it presents the whole picture, but within a map, you know, it, it's, it's objective, presumably, but it's subjective. We all use a map in a different way for a mm. different function. And it, it presumably, uh, it contains everything, but, uh, but it also, you know, it can be as specific as you want. So because this is uh, a, a, an audio yes. project, clearly, um, yeah. people, we're going to get some images which we'll put up on the website yes. and post out on social media when you, when this goes out. Just try and explain to us the, how these look, you know, the, 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 form, the format of these wonderful maps. And this is taken from a book of London. It's uh, called Maps of London and Beyond. Mm. And it's a collection of about 10 years of the maps I've made for various <clears throat> reasons, some from, for myself as cap- capricious projects like yeah. the Argonauts I was just describing. And then some for, um, some are commissioned. So, for example, this is a map of uh, Charles Dickens' childhood in Southwark. Uh, the writer was born in, um, it's kind of Borough, Borough High Street area. And, um, and his father was in prison in uh, Borough. So for, for his, it wasn't that long, but it's a formative experience for him when he had to go and work in the boot blacking factory. So the map, it's, it, it shows, well, it's, it's a drawing of a map. So it's a drawing of a piece of paper. So the map purports to come from somewhere else. Maybe it comes from Dickens' era. And then uh, overlaid on the map, it's like a standard map, are um, scenes of, um, of Dickens' Dickens' life. So you can do a tour of his, his uh, childhood in, um, in Southwark. And I think it was commissioned for the Cuming Museum, which was like a 19th century collection, which unfortunately burnt down on the Walworth Road. So that that's a commissioned map with a very clear um, So these aren't clear to intent. scale per se, are they? These are representative of area and scale. Th- this is pretty much yeah. Um, yeah, accurate to scale, but other maps obviously aren't. Yeah. I mean, this is there's one that's a globe. I turned Shoreditch into the globe. So um, while you're looking for that, I mean, yeah. the, the methodology you use is, is all ink drawing, is it? Um, yeah, it's, it's a big sheet of paper. And uh, there's normally a preliminary map where I'm just pasting lots of stuff onto the onto the wall, just to locate things properly. 
and uh, yeah, it's it's ink. They're ink, and then I I often produce them as lithographs and hand color them in the uh, 18th century tradition. Around here, there would have been a lot of print shops. You could buy your prints plain or coloured. They'd usually get a bunch of children to uh, to put the colours on, so some were a bit scrappy. We could get some of them down there to uh, do some <laughs> colouring. Um, so this this is um, a map of Shakespeare's Shoreditch, but I've I've kind of the streets have been um, mangled and manipulated to form a, a globe. Uh -huh. So the map is a circle. And all of Shakespeare's Shoreditch is contained within this uh, sphere. And he's right in the middle there, where the, the kind of world's first purpose-built theatre stood, which is called the Theatre. Uh -huh. Very original uh, naming. And um, they've just, um, a few years ago, the Museum of London did a dig there, and they discovered the, the site of the stage, which unfortunately kind of goes underneath uh, Foxton's estate agents. <laughs> so uh and <laughs> some uh, that's and a think, shame yeah i know that uh romeo and juliet was first performed in the kind of back room of foxton's estate agent is a little bit kind of <laughs> but that's lovely because it, it is circular so you've got the globe yeah. theme it yeah. also looks like a bit of a spirograph with all the the, the streets yes oh, well they're, they're they're kind of manipulated to off, uh, yeah. correspond with that um kind of astro type uh yeah it's it's uh, yeah it's a so how long does something like device. that take you to do from um, first concept through to research. completion yeah is that I'm, is that the best most interesting part for you the research or is that oh solving the problems the the, the best bit yeah when you finish it and it's all every, everything's all there and it's all in the right place and it's not like um what people would generally consider the work of an artist which is the blank canvas and then you stand in front of it and then you the genius pours forth and then there's a point where you say i think it's finished now but um this i have a usually have a list I just tick stuff off the list when the so list is done. So you know when it's good yeah, and finished. Yeah, when everything's yeah. been ticked off the list, the drawing's finished. And I'm fortunate here to have the Bishopsgate Institute next door. Who, they have an archive of um, ephemera about London. They've got an open shelf of um, old post office directories, so you can search streets to find out what was there in the oh, 30s, 20s. So, for example, I'm doing a map at the moment of um, the about the Chinese community in Limehouse in the 1920s 30s and so the bishopsgate institute is a great resource for that bits of ephemera and uh yeah otherwise there are other maps so yeah this this is a, um that's an image of an old post office directory so you you can look up this like for example there's curtain road there it'll tell you what what all the businesses were and where they were and so this was um a map i made called industrious shoreditch and it, and it was just a way of cataloging visually the um the nature and the, the um particularities of the businesses that were around um shoreditch high street at the time just before the first world war so there were car makers and a, and a huge amount of veneer shops and cabinet makers and furniture trade traditionally was what uh, shoreditch um was known for now it's known for uh flat whites and avocados i think <laughs> Crushed so, avocado um, yeah. and sourdough. There's another map I did here of um, shipwrecks in the Thames. I, and I worked with the Port of London Authority, mm -hmm. who wouldn't tell me where some of the wrecks were because it's top secret. People tend to go out from South End at start night, these digging. guys, and they start, well, they'll, they'll dive for these yeah. wrecks. This was made for the London Estuary Festival. Uh -huh. And the, the original drawing, which is about three meters wide by I was going to tall. ask you because looking around on the walls in your studio, I mean, they're quite big, aren't they? Th these are quite big, aren't they? Yeah. These are, you know, as you say, two, three meters wide. Some yeah. of these. So that so that hung in a shipping container on South End Beach, and it was uh, exhibited with lots of the artifacts that um, the museum in South End had uh, collected when the Thames was dredged for the um, 
the new London shipping container dock. Uh, so where is it now? It's not still in the I container. I think it's in South End Museum. Right. Somewhere like that. Yeah. So are there, there are various collections of your work in, in different locations around the, yeah, London. Yeah, in, and the in like public and private collections. I mm. mean, the Tate have got some stuff and uh, Victoria and Albert Museum. I understand Prince Charles has got some some of your work. Apparently, yeah. yeah. People have bought, well, they've they've asked me to give them stuff to give to him. Right. I don't know that he, does he ever buy anything? Yeah, I, I don't was going to say, heaven forbid he put his hand in his pocket. I know, yeah, <laughs> but apparently, yes. What about the work you did, you were commissioned by the, I don't know if it, the exact body but from yeah. the house, house of commons or the speakers oh, committee it's called, to- um yeah it's a committee it's called the speakers advisory committee on works of art yeah and they who, who, who knew such a body existed who knew yeah, yeah. but it's our collection it's a yeah. parliamentary collection okay and it's distinct from the government art collection right and the curator of this collection has an office in parliament and they oversee the the maintenance and the restoration and the commissioning of uh, works of art that hang on the parliamentary estate so th- things like you know etchings that show the uh, fire in 19th century burning down a parliament portraits of uh you know the great and the good and the uh, not so and then um they they commission contemporary artists to add to the collection so during the uh, anniversary of the suffragette movement suffragists suffragettes they um they commissioned several works of art to um be once installed as a set of windows installed in um st stephen's uh tower and um they commissioned me well it was a commission that was um established by tony banks when he was head of the um the speaker's committee and the um portrait gallerist philip mold apparently they couldn't pin down tony blair for a portrait he just because he's so busy he wouldn't sit for one so they created this um commission to uh kind of force his hand and the artist jonathan yo he was the first election artist they yeah. who, who um he represented the heads of each party. I think it's Charles Kennedy and um, Tony Blair and um, God, who was it? And William Hague. And they, he made portraits easy, of all three. Easy to forget, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And they were all represent the ca- size of the canvas corresponded with their share of the vote. So Tony Blair's got you know a bigger canvas, and poor old Charles Kennedy doesn't. <laughs> and so they've all. And then so every five years, but I mean, recently that we've had all these snap elections, so there's been more election artists and, so what was know. the process you had to go through to to win that commission or was it just oh, we, we there, want we it, want it you. was uh it was a it was a may election so they had a this um, is 2015 2015 yeah. so they employed an art consultant to draw up a long list because um some politicians know about contemporary art others don't most don't and um they might know think of uh you know their persons being represented visually in the negative, you know, because of uh, newspaper cartooning caricaturists and um, the art world generally not being that um, friendly with the, the world of politics. So they can, they wanted uh, to be kind of the, the path to be smoothed by this art consultant, drew up a long list of about a hundred or so artists, maybe more. And then they kind of whittled it down and interviewed, I think five or six of us. So we had to make a proposal. I don't know who the other artists were. And um, we, it was the time of the um, Scottish referendum. So I thought I'll go up to, uh, and, I'd, and I'd go out in the street drawing, uh, you know, I was at Thatcher's funeral drawing that, and uh, I thought I can show them this. What, you just turned up at Thatcher's funeral, or was that by Yeah, no, I wasn't in, I wasn't in, wasn't in the, wasn't a guest. You just went over the, the crowd, yeah. yeah. 
you know, like David would get, draw in the street in uh-huh. Paris during the revolution. There's that amazing picture of Marie Antoinette going to have her head chopped yeah, off. Needed. But that kind of reportage drawing, what used to be called reportage, uh-huh. the newspapers used to have, people like Felix Topolsky. Yes. And so I went up to Scotland and I did a series of sketches around Edinburgh and um, to, to show the, the kind of life of the people and the, the public's engagement with this political event. And because uh, it was a significant event. And I showed them this portfolio of drawings of that and told them I'll do something similar during, during the general election, obviously on a bigger scale, and then um, present them with an, kind of combine all of these sketches into one large kind of narrative ink drawing in that kind of quasi 19th century or 18th century Hogarthian narrative style. And that and won them over. Told, I told them I wouldn't take the mickey out of them. <laughs> <coughs> yeah deliberately yeah but i think also they want to have a balance i mean they'd had a portrait artist they'd had a kind of cartoonist david godbold uh, did it one year and um they'd had a photographer the year before simon roberts and so they thought let's have something something they've never different. had anyone quite like you before so- um well they never know what they're going to get <laughs> yeah but they they wanted and i've worked with newspapers before and um i've and i've worked kind of on the hoof as well i i did a daily newspaper for um five years called donald parsnip daily Journal, i was going to ask which, you uh, about that we'll talk about later <laughs> yeah so um but you're you're tasked with do, with performing a, it's quite a difficult task um which is to represent each of these parties during a general election equally so you have they all have to be shown you you, you can't show um any favoritisms you have to be yeah. completely uh, irrespective yeah. of your political Ex- inclination yeah yeah but then like journalism when you get into it that that kind of goes out the window anyway because you're you're observing something objectively you're more fascinated and by their idiosyncrasies and, and yeah. yeah so the drawing i produced has all of this kind of really strange ephemera that's emblematic of uh that particular general election um i didn't represent any politicians in it whatsoever that's all the kind of junk that's left behind in a big kind of um like an aircraft hangar. It's called the government stable. So it's like the race is over, the horses have gone back in the stable. So there's a pile of battle buses. Some of the events have been turned into like sculptural form. So there's a there's a big press scrum within which uh, is apparently Nigel Farage. He used to attract this huge press scrum whenever he appeared. It was a real kind of um, selfie election as well. Everyone was going around to we selfie with Nicola. And so... Um, that's all represented. So you were a, literally travelling the country yes. alongside the battle buses, or you yeah. weren't actually on the battle buses? I got on a, a couple of battle buses. Did you? Yeah. But you've got to pay quite a lot to go on the battle buses as a journalist. I think it's about 75 Even though a you day. commissioned to do this, they, they didn't include you in some of these? No, because I'm impl- I was employed by Parliament. Right. Um, oh, so not by the so, individual parties. No. Yeah. And um, some of the parties, they employed artists. Like, for example, the Lib Dems employed a, a young illustrator to decorate their battle bus. It's not like being a political artist. It's something else, which is why I compare it to reportage. But then different artists would approach the so task So how do you get the itinerary of where they're all going, where you can constant contact with each of the uh, political officers? Yeah, that's a good uh, good point. Um, <laughs> so that that's an extremely that was an extremely difficult thing to set yes, up. You don't have much time to get to know people. I applied for um, press passes from each of the parties, which would presumably get me into events. But then you have to find out where the events are, and so. I just kind of hassle them. I had a letter from Parliament saying this Adam Dant is the official election artist, uh, and it helped a bit with some events, especially in the regions. Twitter had just come online. I think um, 2015 people are using Twitter. Sounds a lot. about right. Yeah. So quite often, 
Well, I get the, the parties send out what they call operational notices. So you'll get an email in the evening saying something is going to happen in, in the kind of Lancashire area tomorrow. And then, and then you get the, you get the note because there, there'd be it's security, I suppose. And you get a note saying George Osborne will be at the Britvic bottling plant in, uh, yeah, Salford in the morning. Oh, and, uh, actually, I think it's in Leeds, but, uh, so, and then you'd have to rush up there. And when you got the train, all the journalists and the sketch writers would often be on the train. So I got to know them. And then we'd kind of share resources. So it would provide a text message. Then where are you today? So I'm in, you know, Grimsby with, uh, with, uh, Johnny Essex and Nigel Farage or, yeah, I'm in kind of, um, uh, where else were there? Oh, in Glasgow, there are a lot of, uh, SMP rallies and, because it was like rallies and manifesto launches quite easy to find out about, but they were diff it's difficult to find out where they were and, um, and how to get in. Because you got you got quite close, didn't you, to yeah. some of, some of the action, as it as it were. Pretty there's much. A, there's a good little three part sort of video. Oh yes, yeah, they made documentary a, yeah. which I stumbled across when right. I was doing my research. Yeah, that was you, a nice record, which, right? which was quite nice, like three little five to seven minute yeah. sort of videos of you doing your bit yeah. during the election campaign, and you, you actually got quite close. Yes, I got to know them all because yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of quite uh, boring and uneventful campaigning. But it's a way to win votes. It's, and um, I went round uh, with Vince Cable around um, Twickenham. And he, yeah, he said, this is this is the way you win votes. You go and you knock on people's doors and you go in the street. And he was very old school in his type of campaign. Whereas Nick Clegg would go to a, a hedgehog sanctuary and think that was going to uh, help him. <laughs> but but uh, I, I wanted to represent the kind of peculiarities of, of how politicians engage. So with you the, picked up the, all their, you say, peculiarities, yeah. their sort of idiosyncratic sort of yeah. nuanced behaviours. But you didn't specifically have them in the images no, that you I drew, drew. I drew. They were they're in all the sketches. You, you could probably find them if you looked hard enough and think, well, yeah. that, that looks. Well, like no, it. I drew them. I drew what they were doing and yes. I drew the surroundings. Yes. So yeah. So no one can be and specifically then, identified per se. Yes, pretty much. They're yeah. they're in there. I mean, but I don't do caricatures. Yeah. So they are the individuals are recognisable. They might occasionally look a bit like them, but uh, <laughs> and the other thing about drawing is when when you sketch an event from life because it's. A process that's done over time there's uh something imbued in the finished result that contains your experience of being there at that moment so when you look at the sketch again you you get a recall of um the uh, peripheral uh stuff that was going on um unlike taking a photograph on your phone where you're relying on studying the image for that detail at a later date mm. and i think there's something you're not paying attention when you take a picture of no you just phone, do that you just click yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a process. Let's take a very quick break just to remind you, if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So how many? Your, so um, so the the election campaign. I don't know what is it. A month long or six weeks or whatever. Six weeks. Six week campaigns. You were touring the country pretty much. Yeah, following England, these Scotland, Wales, uh, Northern pretty, Ireland. Pretty exhausting. I would well, have thought. Well, um, the the part, Conservative Party leader who was uh, Cameron at the time. He um, at half past five in the morning there was an announcement on the radio saying he was going to do the four countries of the united kingdom in one day Your heart must have sank. Uh, so, but no but then i and then it said he'll so he'll be in scotland uh this morning i thought that's good i'm in edinburgh i was in edinburgh for something else and um i think I, no, i've been to glasgow for an smp rally anti-trident rally so i was in edinburgh and um 
so how on earth am I going to find out where he is? I called the press people, but it's you know half five in the morning. They weren't picking up. And um, none of the journalists I knew could tell me. Um, so, and so I thought, I'll go on Twitter. And I just typed David Cameron into Twitter. And, uh, and one tweet came up. I've just seen that twat David Cameron <laughs> going into Scottish Widows. And so I, I kind of hot-footed it around to Scottish Widows, which was literally two minutes away from where I was. Excellent. And there he was having uh, black pudding and fried eggs with uh, Samantha and the employees of, uh, of um, Scottish Widows. Oh, but without Twitter, yeah. I wouldn't have done it. But I think two two SMP protesters had done the same thing as me because they were there uh, with their salt. I would say they're yeah. being abusive rather. Yeah, than, and then yeah. he was off. But there was no. I spoke to another journalist and said, "There's no chance of getting on the plane, is there?" I said, "No, absolutely not." <laughs> so they were, you know, by half past eight, they were whizzed off to to the airport, Edinburgh Airport, and they were off to Northern Ireland. And then after my, so I did quite a foray in Scotland after. Um, an event with um, Alex Salmond. I, was, I went back to Aberdeen Airport, and um, it was announced. I was listening to the radio. Oh no, I was doing Twitter again. It said that the um, DUP will be having their manifesto launched tomorrow in somewhere near Belfast. So I called up their press person, and I had to kind of book a ticket before I got on the plane back to London. And um, if my dog hadn't barked for because the, the Uber driver was outside, I don't think I would would have got there. But uh, and then quickly hot footed over to um to uh, Belfast. It must but have been a it was it was exciting. Yeah. It must have been really exciting. It kind of um, I, well, I I didn't do it um, Hunter S. Thompson Gonzo style in a in a Cadillac or anything. But uh, I could see if you were yeah if you're of a mind to do such thing, it would it's because it, he did the Nixon presidential uh -huh. campaign as a as a kind of stoned journalist, but. Uh, it's a strange focal point for all manner of things because mm. it involves you know, everyone in the country. So the process when you finish that, you've got how many dozens of individual? I had two dozen yeah. sketchbooks. Two dozen sketchbooks. Yeah. Each sketchbook has got, well, I don't know, 50, Each, 60 pages? Yeah, 50 in? or 60 pages of yeah. sketches and notes. Uh -huh. And uh, I've just given the, well, I've just acquired them, the parliamentary collection. I've got my sketchbooks now in wow. their archive. How does that feel, so, handing it over, all that work? Um, I ha hung on to them for, for four years. I only... I only I donated them. Yeah. So I just saw them on a on a shelf at home, and I thought, doesn't that well, break your heart to hand them? No, because I mean they're accessible to me still. They're right. accessible to everyone. Yeah. I'll scan them so I can have a digital record of them. So you've but, got um, two two sketchbooks full of images and um, sketches that yeah. you've done from six weeks worth of hard work. Yeah. Slapping around the country, yeah. traipsing after these these politicians. What did, my did process, you know the process was, when you got back, or had you already had the, the plan no, in I mind? Had what you had the idea, do? yeah, but um, I had no, but I had well, I had a kind of general so idea that it was it. going to be a, a narrative drawing, yeah, that used all these sketches in, in one um coherent uh pictorial space. I um I photocopied them all and I started gluing them all on a map of Britain where things were happening, and I thought I could superimpose a map of Britain onto a, a pictorial space, which would be like an armature um, created from different bits of architecture that I'd drawn around the UK. So I kind of started with Leeds, Leeds Town Hall, where they had a debate, and then put bits of Westminster Methodist Hall in, and then bits of pub, and then columns from a um, national grid training school. So the whole thing came together as an architecture built from the locations of political uh, So you didn't transpose each each image directly onto your final piece. No. You took an idea or concept from there. Yeah. yeah. But it's roughly a map of the United Kingdom. Yes. You wouldn't know. With, you know, created from these bits of architecture. And then, and the events that happened to put in, there, there are lots of members of the public in the, um, that I 
spoke to in the in the drawing. It's called the Government Stable, and uh, like and I know those films. I forgot. I think I explained my creative process in one of yeah, those films. Yeah, it's very very interesting seeing the artist himself being yeah. filmed for this little mini documentary. But it is a, yeah, and it, but you've got to deliver on a certain date, so it's kind of I slightly was stressful. Say, so, yeah, and so compared with deadline. other stuff I do, it's it's um it's quite a significant commission because you think you know Westminster's the be all and end all. It's a hell of an honour as well. Yeah, really. it's an honour. Yeah. yeah. It's hanging in Portcullis House now. It's publicly accessible publicly, on, the, on the um, mezzanine fantastic. where all the conference rooms are, so, so anyone can go and see it. Who did you have to present it to, and how long after the end of the election? So the election before, was before in before May. The outcome of the election I think they gave me the summer to make it. Uh-huh. I think after August, uh, when they all uh, reconvened in September, then I presented it to the um, the Speaker's Committee. And then they had an unveiling after they had said this is okay we don't look too stupid in this they had an unveiling at the speaker's house which is rather nice and the, the head of the committee kind of took them and and how did it go down oh, it went down all right yes yeah <laughs> went down very well and i produced a key to the drawing so if you go and see the drawing in paul Cullis house next to it there's a numbered key and it will explain each event oh fantastic yeah so you, how many you got all the locations sort of yeah, so, so they're it. all numbered. There's about 200 things numbered and described Fantastic. on it. Fantastic. Yeah. So much has happened since 2015. I can't even yeah. remember what the outcome was. It wasn't the uh, hung parliament one, was it? No, it was a coalition uh, government. The coalition government, yeah. I mean, and, yeah. Then, and, then, so, um, and then Cameron had a, had, had a, a that was him larger Nick. majority than expected. Him with Nick. Uh, it was before, yeah. And yeah. Nick, Nick was decimated after yeah. that one. Yeah. He resigned the day of the, um, the um, election as did um, Miliband. It's hard to keep up, isn't it? Have Go you done ahead. anything pertaining to Brexit? You must have done. Oh, that, yes, I've that, done, that, a, I've a, done a, a timeline of Brexit called Stop That Brexit. <laughs> Do you remember Stop That Pigeon? You know, <laughs> yeah, Dick, Dick yes, Dastardly. Dick Dastardly. Yeah. yeah. So it's a pigeon with a little um, satchel around its neck with uh, January 31st, 2020 written on it. And, and, there, and there's a series of events all visually describing the various points in in the passage of um, article 50 from the f- well from before from um cameron calling the referendum to uh, so when did you to, do this i did it for a magazine called the critic and it came out in their november issue we, well last year last year yeah i just think it's lovely i've done it do- as a print yeah but look it up it's uh yeah it's quite a headache to piece together that's what uh, it's, it's it's wonderful because there's a, there is a lot of humor isn't there in your art yes yeah, yeah. But it's the, fr- I mean, the humour in that is it the framing of it because it's there's a kind of inevitability to it. But then um, the other Dick Dastardly's all the characters, like not just the European politicians, but uh, you know, vexatious British lawyers trying to, um, and Gina Miller's in there somewhere, just trying to stop this, yes. this bill going through. Yeah. So what are you presently working on? I've, well, I've, I've got- you, uh, another question: Do you work yeah. on more than one thing at, at any given oh, time? Oh yeah, I tend to because okay. I do a lot of commercial well projects for magazines right so i've got this spot in a magazine called the critic as i mentioned and i do a double page spread every month that takes up quite a lot of time coming up with that so i'm doing this the the street cries of westminster street street cries of westminster Westminster. street cries of westminster you know the um peeps famously had this uh print the street cries of london and um it comes from there's a french artist called marcellus laroon who drew all of the the vagabonds and the People kind of hawking their wares. People would know it most famously from the um, Oliver, the movie, the okay, um, yes. musical. Yes. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they, they, they'd sing out, who will buy my beautiful cafe Rangers. latte with uh, <laughs> soy milk. But I updated uh, the street cries t- uh, of Spitalfields. 
right. fairly recently. So in, there, there are kind of curry touts up Brick Lane and uh, DVD hawkers, you know, Chinese knockoff DVDs and all that lot. So I'm going to update the Street Cries of Westminster for the for the, um, this magazine, The Critic. Is this so, such a thing as knockoff DVDs anymore? With the, with the yeah, I think the, uh, net, it probably does net, date the drawing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all yeah, gone. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you're working on presently yeah yeah but then also i'm i'm putting together this uh argonautica thing i mentioned you did mention yes and um what else is going on i'm doing a map of i'm doing a map for the, of a, a small town in kent called westmoreland where there was a there used to be an raf base where the mosquitoes flew Morling, yeah. yes i've been i have been there yeah Yes. I'm doing a map of West Malling, which was part of the dioceses of of Rochester, Bishop of Rochester, and there's a there's an abbey there, and I think there's a there's a nunnery there where you can go and kind of rest and uh-huh. stop smoking. So I'm doing a map of West Malling. What else am I doing? Oh, and I've started. I want to start this. Well, I kind of started it, this monumental print, which should be a um, a history of the city of London. Oh, brilliant! Like a kind of uh, panoramic view. Uh-huh. But um, I'm at the sketch. Are these commission works? Are these just no, ideas the, the, that you want to do me. just yeah. for you for the hell of it? Yeah, yeah. So I did a commission for Bloomberg uh, when they built their headquarters in Walbrook, around the corner. They moved from Finsbury Square to Walbrook uh, three years ago, and um, it, I think it was the largest archaeological dig the City of London has ever seen. But I, I, and I worked with the Museum of London Archaeology when they were in the kind of 15 meter deep hole on Queen Victoria Street, um, pulling out Roman sandals and um, and. Um, thinking about reinstating the Mithraeum, the the Roman Mithraeum, which is a temple to the worship of Mithras, which used to be on a horrible concrete pedestal on Queen Victoria Street. And people just go up there and smoke cigarettes in their break. And uh, it's very unloved and unlovely. But the the archaeologists, they've reinstated the Mithraeum um, two floors underneath Bloomberg's headquarters, publicly accessible. And it's kind of near the spot where it, it would have been originally. So as part of my commission, I created a, a huge drawing that shows like 2,000 years of uh, London history. It described through representation of one city block, being this block where Bloomberg have built their kind of billion-dollar building, which is like it's like a 21st century space station, this place. Yeah, um, I think I've walked past it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, quite amazing. And um, so the, the drawing had... Um, it's like contiguous layers of London history, but all represented um, <clears throat> in the same space. So I want to do the same thing with the City of London, but just have the most interesting things that have existed on particular spots, uh, like the Mithraeum, but sitting next to the, something that might be from mm. the 19th century. And do you presumably you walk around London an awful lot, just yeah. generating ideas? And do you walk around with a, like a notepad or a sketchbook and just yeah, I have a sketchbook con- cons- constantly? Yeah. yeah, but then different people see London in a different way. You know, if you're a bird spotter. You're going to have a different experience of walking through the city if you're a kind of manhole cover collector. It, it, it is fascinating, so look, isn't it, how, how you do see things through your own yes. sort of prism. So I, with I, the Argonaut thing, I was kind of looking for references to, you know, classical uh, mythology walking through the city. There's a lot of it. Mm. I remember just a silly thought that came to mind. As you say, you see things through a different lens. Many, many, many moons ago, I was an estate agent, Boo Hiss. Yeah. And as soon as I became a station, everywhere in London, I saw was for sale boards. Yes, I, I yeah. never even noticed them before. But yeah. all of a sudden, I saw these boards pop up every single place. Mm-hmm. And it's like you say, you're, you're looking for something completely different, and you, which is great because when you portray your art, people can see what you're seeing through your yes. lens. 
Yeah, and and yeah, that's what what I said to, to when we started speaking that the map is kind of it's it purports to be an objective reality. Yes, you can take you can use it in whatever fashion yeah. you want because everyone's going on a different yeah. different there path. Is so, I mean, this one I'm looking at here, Leicester that's Square. Right. Yes, um, is just incredible. There is so much going on there. Yeah, there's so many characters. In, it's, it's almost like a Where's Wally. Drawing. It is. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to sort of demean, there, demean but, uh, your your hot work, but <laughs> he's not in there. No. Yeah. But uh, we're, and we're not looking for Wally in my drawings. We're not but, looking uh, for anyone in particular, but we are looking at individual characters, yeah. aren't we? But I, I kind of research, it's, um, it's like an, a panoramic. Well, it's not really a panoramic view. It's um, it's a bird's eye. Mm. It's not a bird's eye view either. It's a it's a scene of um, of the history and the the life of you know present day Leicester Square. Mm. So I went up on the there's a hotel on this side. That was my vantage point. And I did some sketches of the scene, and I did lots of reading on the history of Leicester Square. And it's all incorporated in there. It's it's just incredible. There's so, so much got the, um, so much detail. So you got there. the Quran sellers next to um, yeah, Black Eagle, there. the performing horse from the <laughs> 19th century. <laughs> That's quite bizarre. So how long does something like that take you to do? Um, well, on and off. That, that, that is a, what, a couple like of meters, a couple of months, I suppose, on and off. Yeah. Backwards and forwards. That's a couple of months. Yeah, that's just staggering. Um, this is a this is a scarf I made for uh, Hendrix Gin. It's called Gin Peregrinations. They'd come up with this idea of the um, unchilled cocktail, gin cocktail. That'd be like the the temperature of the the kind of human human body. I suppose they designed a beautiful uh, cut glass hip flask. They wanted something to go around it, so I designed this scarf that would wrap around the hip yeah. flask. And you could take the you know wear the scarf, walk through London on some of these routes, and it would point out um, characters, places, and incidents in the history of London that related to the history of gin, like the kind of burning down of the the gin distillery in the well in the gin riots. So fueled by gin, they uh, they rioted, and uh, <clears throat> there's Madame Geneva being paraded through the streets when the the gin tax yeah. came in. When you're walking around London and you see, is your head always full of concepts and ideas? And well, sometimes I'm just hungry and I'm looking for a decent uh, place to eat. But uh, <laughs> but even but, then, I guess you're coming up with ideas. Yeah, I suppose so. But I always assume. I mean, well, maybe is maybe it there you've just got to get it out, or you're quite relaxed about the process. Um. It's a, yeah, it's a process. Like I've got some drawings that have been on the go for years, and I just haven't haven't kind of cracked them yet. Like the Chinese that? the Chinese Limehouse one is quite difficult because there's not that much information. So I'm trying to find a clever way of uh, uh -huh. you know presenting all of the uh, the facts. Yeah, I and it's know. quite a, it's quite a, a it's a weird subject as well. Chinese community yeah. in Limehouse. Just trying to get my head around the process, how you do it. The probably the least artistic person you'll ever come across <laughs> with a with a pencil in my hand, but. Doing something of that level of detail, like yeah. the Leicester Square one and the so uh, the Sloan Square one, and these like all the other ones you do, and you move from one to the other to the yeah. other. But there's an aspect of traditional drawing, uh, traditional crafting, what I do. So it's yeah, that's it's a perspectival drawing. Uh -huh. So there's a system, and that's the kind of armature on which I hang all of the um, the stuff that I've collected. That's the draftsman in you, is it? Yeah, that gets the perspective yeah. and the angles and everything absolutely spot on. It is amazing. It's fantastic. But then some of the drawings are more amorphous and uh, they're led by the drawing itself. So let me find an example. There was a drawing I made where I uh, collected geographically specific dreams from the residents of Shoreditch. They um, filled in these forms that were in bars and cafes at the time. And uh, if they had a dream that was set in Shoreditch, they'd kind of um, kindly describe the location and the event. 
And once I had about six, it took a long time. So these to are forms this. you just left in bars and cafes? Yeah. And people would send them back to my studio. But I got about <laughs> 60 of them. Uh-huh. And then I kind of, in the drawing, it's kind of knitted together. This, it's a map. The map has Shoreditch High Street going through the middle of it, but it's got all these rats running down it. But yeah, it's more kind of, uh, yeah. That's quite psychedelic, it's, it's, isn't it's it? It's more intuitive, the, the drawing style, rather than calculated. Yeah. But then when I have this perspective, I mean, perspectival drawing and those kind of craft things are, are an armature on which you can hang any, any sort of craziness. Mm. Well, as with all the guests on this podcast, I ask them at this point in time in the interview to mention a couple of places in London that are particularly pertinent, personal to them. Now, we're sat here in the heart of Spitalfields. I'm guessing you're going to have something in and around this area, Adam, which is um, going to be Well, a lot maybe of the not. places that I loved uh, and uh, was a regular habitual have gone. I mean, the, the Market Cafe we used yeah. to go to on Fournier Street, that's gone. And most recently... Um, although you will be able to visit again in when it's um, its next incarnation as a museum uh, exhibit was Sid's Coffee Stall on Calvert Avenue by uh, St Leonard's Church, which for a hundred years you know served the residents of Shoreditch. Cups of tea, bacon rolls. Traditionally, they, they uh, would serve a sav and a slice, savaloy. And mm. now that closed uh, just a few weeks ago. But they're going to they're going to install it into the new Museum of London, where you will be able to visit it. But I don't know you. I don't know what your chances are of getting a seven and a slice from it when it's in the museum. But close, I I go to a lot of places in the city of London. I love uh, Simpsons, which is a, a it's like a meat <coughs> restaurant down by St Michael's Alley. Um, proper old school city of London. Yeah, uh, I don't know uh, that. No, highly recommended. Uh-huh. And also Sweetings, which has been there for generations on Queen Victoria yes. Street, is a fish restaurant in the kind of old style, it's a bit kind of school dinners type place where you'll stand in a, in a bar area waiting for a table or a counter spot where they'll do, yeah, they'll do a nice halibut. And um, apparently Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, when he came to London, would always have his lunch there. And the right, he wrote home to his mother saying, um, I believe that uh, Simpsons, oh no, not Simpsons, uh, Sweetings does the, the, the best uh, blackened skate I've ever tasted. And, Sounds yeah, wonderful. But yeah, Sweetings. Two, two wonderful places which we haven't had on the uh, right. on the podcast before, which is great. We always say this: always get unique places. I think mm-hmm. once or twice in all the eighty odd guests, we've had a couple of replicas. But if they try and give you kummel after your lunch at um, at Simpsons, don't drink it; otherwise, you'll <laughs> never get home again. <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much. Adam. Thank you very much. Steve. Not at Thanks. all. Thank you. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows and sponsorship opportunities only available via, via Patreon. I do hope you'll continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash your London legacy.